0: Lynn heard their silence before anything else, the uneasy quiet of a standoff. Easing into their senses, she realized it was Mars who seemed most uncomfortable, a sensation generally absent the warrior after a hearty meal. Reasoning that the contest had not gone well, she perused the signals of his body, looking for injury. There were suggestions of pain here and there, but nothing the warring spirit hadn't softened to whispers nothing to suggest an empty stomach. The examination reconjured her thoughts about the man, but her dalliance with the void left her almost numb to them. She winced to recall them more clearly, but all her passion had been sapped. Little flames long disappeared beyond the gates of nothingness. Eric, for his part, seemed fine, though his signals were never obvious to her. His were the echoes of sensation, rather than the more direct variety she was accustomed to. Keith was already out the door, hands filled with chilled mugs of lemonade he'd prepared, a particular conjuration both Eric and Mars appreciated. She enjoyed the drink's cold touch upon the conductor's palms, the filtered sunlight through the glasses. Beverages in hand, the three men came in through the back door, spreading out into the kitchen, the previous silence holding despite Keith's aimless chatter. Feeling Hazel's ears prick at the sound of the back door opening and closing, Lynn knew the young woman would be sneaking down the staircase in moments. Looking in on the man, it had become all but obvious she was fond of.
5: So, everyone's back in one piece, I see. Anything interesting to report?
0: Lynn asked, strolling into the kitchen. Not particularly. Just a quick jaunt there and back again. Mission accomplished. Eric said flatly looking past her into the living room, scanning for Hazel, no doubt. I picked up a souvenir, but uh, that's about it, really. She knew Mars would have some idea that she sensed the oddness between himself and Eric. So when he looked directly at her with his response, she took it as the final word on the matter. Replacing to the living room, the small excitement for the returning passengers melted into the gloom of the olden room, itself a metaphor for the sadness becoming their lives. Even the nearly visible delight of Eric's and Hazel's exchange did little to enliven the room. Hazel changed her outfit just prior to descending the stairs, where she quizzed Eric about his trip, the Englishman looking up at her in an almost desperate happiness. She envied their defiance of the hopelessness that would surely master them, eventually. Keith had already set his vintage record spinning, its tinny, crackling notes suffusing the moment with more melancholy. Embarking on yet another explanatory foray concerning his recent discoveries, Keith regaled the pair, catching them up. After reiterating the looming menace of William Church, Mars interrupted, Maybe next time I'll get to dine in, save Eric the trip. Lynn realized the comment had been more aimed at Eric. Mars was even smiling at him, if perhaps a bit uneasily. The odd moment seemed noticed by one and all, and Eric let the words hang in the air before finally smiling his response. Your comedic chomps are improving by the moment, my friend. Mars exhaled, even leaning back more fully into the cushions of the chair. Whatever happened between the two out upon the road had apparently been resolved, or forgiven. Once on to the topic of the planned outing to the town of Newton, to seek out the meaning behind Hazel's mysterious Tillingast exhibit, Eric confirmed the presence of an intranet center. A while back, when I traveled there upon my quest for a bookstore, I did indeed pass an uplink center. I remember it quite vividly, in fact, I had no idea what an uplink centre was. Lynn wondered if the technology, developed to compensate for the bygone and far more extensive internet, was called something different in Britain. After Eric was afforded a brief nap, the passengers loaded into the larger vehicle stowed within the dilapidated garage behind the house. A van lifted from a debris strewn parking lot near the devastation that was once the city of Curious Forest. The drive to Newton was a tranquil affair, the Malsapiens gazing out the window, engaged somewhat in small talk, yet Lynn felt the enormity of killing and combats taking a toll on her mood. Here was her second attempt at doing something normal, an outing with friends, which now seemed surreal at best, ridiculous at worst. The last time they'd attempted normalcy, an entire city had paid the price. After all, they were a gang of engineered super-soldiers, having done more than their share of killing. Even if the conflicts were never theirs to start, they ended them handily enough, and with blood to spare. Life after the darkness, and then after the machine, was difficult for her to frame, harder still to normalize. The world lacked a coherent center, a solid foundation upon which to fix one's concept of self to limit all the existential guesswork. Her new post-machine existence was grotesque to her, but it was all she had left, the void doing its best to shrink that small share even further. The town of Newton was a small place that partook minimally of modern amenities, but it was supposedly free of witch hauntings and other devilries often rumored of similarly sequestered cities. Its streets were paved, tree-lined, and traveled, people ambled down its sidewalks, and a newspaper seller called to passers-by from his corner stand. While the van maneuvered into a parking lot just off the road, Lynn overheard the headline of the day. Notorious serial killer, Jack Lantern, kills and mutilates entire train car filled with passengers. The world was only a dark reflection now, the warped contents of so many broken brains plastering the walls of a locked room. Yet there remained a way out for Lynn, She even held the key. But the door just led to a more honestly upholstered room, the stuff underlying the brains and plaster and reflection. Nothing. The uplink center was easy to find by its soaring tower, which, despite its size, only serviced the needs of the city itself, and Lord knew how often its database was updated. After paying a fee to the automated booth located at the entrance, they heard the front door click open. There wasn't much to the interior, just a mass of sporting dated computers mounted atop small desks. Despite its role as the technological epicenter of the city, the place felt more like a morgue to Lynn, her multi-sensate impression revealing it as a corpse of bygone innovations. Even the lighting had a sallow tinge to it, pulling the atmosphere even further into the grave. And as they approached the near station, the sound of their movement seemed offensive, out of place desolation refusing the token offerings of substance. Hazel dropped herself into the shabby chair and established a connection to the server, her hands betraying a practiced dexterity as they danced over the keys. Entering her search parameters, they all waited for the results. After the system spent some time loading its findings, only a small fragment of information, apparently taken from a collection of papers intended for a weird book publication, proved any real value. The entry read, The Tillinghast Exhibit, a showroom filled with the bones of creatures not credited by science to exist. The story of the exhibit began sometime during the 1970s, in connection to the more popular conspiracy theory involving the Smithsonian Institute's covert attempts to confiscate and hide the remains to creatures incongruous to the scientific paradigm. According to one confirmed sources, a naturalist by the name of Edmund Isley Tillinghast, purchased these items from the Institute and placed them into his private collection, charging an incredible fee for their secret viewing. A similar search concerning the naturalist only turned up the aforementioned entry.
5: Well, in light of what Hazel can do, it's pretty obvious why the company would pull her in on something like that, and why they blanked her after she saw whatever she saw.
0: Lynn said to no one in particular, staring at the screen. The sense dealer could feel Hazel's discomfort at the recent discovery, her body heating up, nerves twitching. She was hiding something.
5: You sure you don't recall anything else from that night, Hazel?
0: Lynn asked, ever so slightly coloring her words with accusation. The silence of the room was quick to emphasize the drawn-out pause.
5: Dreams. I've had dreams that could line up with the stuff in the entry. Creatures of some kind. I don't know, maybe a race of things. Nothing I've ever heard of.
0: Lynn just nodded at the admission and gestured toward the exit. What the hell game are these people playing with us? Eric blurted, breaking the silence as they walked back to the van.
5: I don't know, but it's a lot more than what they're telling us.
0: Lynn responded. You mean like how they knew to leave Eric behind when we ran up against a thing that might have snatched up the dead guy? Mars added. Yep. Lynn said, nodding her head. Eric perked up at Marza's comment. You mean the Over Sapien, of course, the one we'd tracked to the woods. Then, right before we all struck out, I was ordered back home. Yep. Then repeated. And the plot thickens, or does it? After all, it's not like any of this is truly surprising. We've known all along we're but glorified guinea pigs. And that spider, bless his black heart, has never been honest with us. Why should we care now, all of a sudden, that the company's a little more duplicitous than what we've come to expect? You saw what happened to Vacuum Man, didn't you? I was up there, while it was happening. I could hear him pleading to something, to save him. I'm thinking the road out of the machine is a one-way, straight into a dead end. As if on cue, when the passengers arrived back at the van, there was a small note pinned beneath its wiper blade. It read, There's a brilliant slice of vintage cinema playing down at the Sunset Theater on Outer Tanner Street. I strongly suggest you stop by for a quick show. Cheers, Spider Black. Lynn crumpled the note and tossed it to the ground.
5: Speak of the devil, as they say. Well, looks like we've got our new marching orders.
0: The passengers fell back into silence and climbed into the van. After some searching, the vehicle turned down the nearly deserted stretch of road named in the note. The houses that lined its initial length became more dilapidated and sparser the farther the narrowing road snaked into the unkept fields of the open countryside, where the clamor of cicadas became so loud the group rolled up the windows, much to Keith's dismay. The outskirts were different here. The forest's edge set far back from the rolling fields of switchgrass, where small islands of bramble and thicket floated and swayed. Occasionally punctuating the starker pastures in the distance were tall piles of large rocks, stacked neatly and surmounted by spires of wood. Lynn took them for grave mounds, but couldn't be sure. The clearly derelict theater was all but hidden in a tangle of brush. It's only identifying feature, a nearly effaced billboard. Sunset theater, it declared, despite considerable wood rot and years of weathering. Rolling her eyes at the sight, Lynn sighed. Figures. Standing in the high grass between the park van and the structure, Lynn received the view. Admiring the deep-seated gray thunderheads tumbling in the distance, the wind that tasted of rain and played through the fields. All the eyes she looked through represented a relatively uniform sight, save Eric's, which was hard to grasp, her sense of him always fading. What she could make out was grim, mostly a funeral procession of images, gray hopeless meadows shrinking beneath the broken vault of a dead sky, wind like the breath of the tomb, a world caught in the throes of dying. It made her wonder precisely what set of Eric's eyes she looked through, The passengers filed through the crumbling entrance, picking through the piles of debris. Eric produced a flashlight and panned it around. While the structure was in an advanced state of disintegration, there was a selectivity to its decay, as if intentionally sparing its most signature features. The major arteries of the theater were remarkably clear of ruin. Even small patches of vibrant red carpeting had been preserved in places but most unusual of all were the clean bits of popcorn spread across the floor. A smidge of flourish for the peanut gallery, (laughs) Keith mused. Lynn was unfazed when the rattle of an old film reel and the sudden appearance of light emerged from one of the theaters. Carefully following the sounds, the Malsapiens arrived within the auditorium, a beam of light from the projection booth slicing through the darkness painting the ragged screen in a grime of yellow light. Try as she might, she couldn't contact the senses of the projectionist, which was always the case with Spider Black. Her mentor's words detached from the odyssey of the moment.
1: We, that is to say, the company and I, would like nothing more than for you to acquire a particular bit of obscura for us. One that has proved quite elusive. The pause was ample, but
0: elicited no comments from the passengers, who seemed only content to listen.
1: No doubt you've heard the rumors of certain films allegedly taken during the Great Darkness. Well, we want you to acquire one for us. You see, Over the years, there have been several showings of such films. All of them held in bizarre, sometimes hard-to-reach places. Another one of these events has been scheduled within a fortnight from now, deep underground. We've recently acquired tickets to the show, but the lot of you will attend in our stead. Another
0: pause as clicking sounds from the projection booth signal the start of the film.
1: What you're about to watch was sent along with the tickets as a sort of trailer, you might say. So please enjoy the show.
0: The screen danced with the imperfections of olden film. Bits of dust and hair and scratches caught in the reel of images. Coalescing from the visual noise melted a string of printed words. They read, Without the coherence of solid things, the world becomes your personal rabbit hole. But not all holes have bottoms, and not all rabbits eat carrots. The words faded atop a barely broken blackness as the camera's point of view lowered into what appeared a small hole likely, given the preceding words, a rabbit hole. The lighting became greenish, signaling the use of an infrared lens, the image occasionally clogging with dirt as the camera appeared to have extraordinarily little clearance. The sound of a person straining became more evident, as if they were right behind the camera, pushing it along, which seemed impossible given the size of the hole. More words imposed over the green darkness. They read, The ever-turning worm made merry with gifts of song and silliness, no two celebrants the same. They wheeled carelessly and sang underground songs, all for the worm who tended the dead, bursting out of kings and beggars alike, and wore a crown of roots upon his head. The view struggled to keep its pace as it now pushed past strewn party favors, bows and noisemakers, and party hats. Slowly materializing beyond the coarse noises of underground movement, a dim music emerged, something vintage and crackly. Lynn could feel Keith's lips upturning at the sounds. With a final groan, the camera was pushed into a larger space, tumbling from the small hole and elating into a large room, an earthy space filled with song and dancing figures. The celebrants, All persons wearing formal wear and sporting animal masks raised their glasses at the newcomer behind the camera. The infrared light turned the eyes behind the masks inhuman, their silvered glow merging perfectly with the animal themes. Taking up their own glass and setting aside the camera, the nameless videographer stepped into frame. A humanoid rabbit, perhaps half as tall as the apparently human figures. It raised its glass high and waved to the camera and far behind it, barely revealed by the green light, a massive and glistening worm, topped in a pointed party hat and intertwined with several partygoers. The screen went dark, leaving only a few words behind that said, We will be expecting you.